Hi, welcome to the Needham Seymour Podcast. This is episode five. Big five. I'm Aaron Pressman. And I am Doug Fox. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, today's topic, which has been in and out of the news over the last few years, but really has been a part of Needham for 70 years, is the Needham Housing Authority. This is a group which, under state and federal oversight, runs a number of sites of housing for uh, elderly and disabled and very low-income people in town in a number of sites. Uh, one of the big sites is over kind of in the north corner of Needham, over where like Captain Cook and Seabeds Road are. Uh, it's an area most residents would never see, actually. Yeah, so. it's kind of like behind Channel 5, pressed up against 128. Um, another big area that people are probably a lot more familiar with, but they may not know that all the extent of it that's run by uh, the Housing Authority is over on Linden Street and by the High Rock School. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different segments there, including some small, um, I think 60 right now, right? 60 uh, single-family homes. Um, and are those the bungalows you're talking yeah. about or the senior ones? They're the bungalows, yep. yeah. Uh, and then kind of right on Linden Street in front of the school are the... Uh, units where they're little little bungalows for seniors. Yeah, they're le- there's less than five multi square the, feet. the multi units in a single building. Uh, my mother-in-law lived in there like seven or eight years ago. Um, it's a great location for seniors. Um, and then there's a building next to it for the disabled. And then there's one other building I think in the middle of town. I forget what it's called. Uh, that's also a disabled uh, housing unit. But interesting. Okay, I didn't I didn't know that. Under, but, under Needham Housing Authority. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I think the bulk of what we're going to talk about today is uh, these, lo- the two, these two larger areas, which, um, first of all, have faced some challenges over how they've been run and managed, faced some challenges over uh, you know, their maintenance and their accessibility, uh, and then uh, you know, also this crime and kind of the outcome of, of the crime has changed some of the policies of the, of the housing yeah. authority. And the crime, for those of you who don't know, is that there was there was a woman murdered. There was an elderly resident in the housing that was murdered by someone from one of the disabled housing units um, that shined a spotlight on on a lot of what was going on there. Right. This is uh, Laura Shifrina was the victim. I think she was 81 years old, and she was a she emigrated from Russia and lived there. Uh, was a former scientist and was actually active in. Uh, writing a newsletter with a lot of other scientists. She was a very interesting person, and it's a tragic death. Uh, the suspect, who uh, was on trial earlier this year, Tammy Galloway, who lived next door to her. It was a mistrial, right? I think. Well, so right. Pending, so so right? what happened is the trial opened. There were opening statements, and then uh, the defense attorney was hit by a car, uh, not too seriously, but seriously enough that they had to stop the trial. So it's scheduled to resume in May. And I think the mistrial point is like we're not going to keep these jurors. We're not going to we're going to start completely fresh. We're going to pick new jurors and uh, start over again. So in May that'll start again. There's a, a lot of evidence. Uh, well, let's get into that at the end. We'll get, yeah. we'll get, let's get into the murder at the end. This podcast, the true crime. We podcast. wanted to tease that to make sure you listen to the entire podcast. We're getting into the true crime <laughs> podcast genre here. All right. So the housing authority, Doug. Where do you want to start? Um, so, I mean, you, you gave the background on the number of units and whatnot. I mean, I think a key thing is that there's both state-funded units and federal-funded units. Um, so the funding for all of this comes from a state organization, which is, what is the acronym? The DHCD, Department of Housing and Community Development, and the federal is from the HUD. Um, the reimbursement is higher for the federal units, 
So town has actually been moving to move transfer some of the state ones over to federal to get better reimbursement. And basically the way it works is when someone qualifies for one of these units, what they pay is based on what they're able to pay. And then the difference in that is then funded by these federal or state organizations, um, which then fund the maintenance upkeep of all of these units. But one of the issues is that a lot of the uh, residents in our housing are very low income, like they're making 30% or less yeah. of the it's average. It's very different from the affordable housing and the 40Bs that are out there. Although with the conversion to the of those high rock homes that happened, the condos that were in there were affordable, not low income. Well, all of this does count as 40B housing. Yes, yes. Um, but it, you're right. It's not your your average uh, teacher or firefighter, generally speaking, are not uh, would not qualify to live in most of this housing. But it does provide a financial challenge to the housing authority because the income that's available from rent is very low, and then they're dependent on what they're getting from state and federal money, yeah. which is not totally under our control. Yeah. And from a key governance standpoint in our town, the town has no power over the housing authority and pays no money to the housing authority. The only exception has been when there's been some major renovations like what happened where they converted the single units to double units uh, with the ones that were sold affordable as condos. There was some CPC money that moved over for that. But when people are worried about what, if your town dollars are being spent on that is not, it's money that bubbles up to state and federal that then come back. I mean, I didn't realize until I started really reading. So there's this great um, master plan study from last year that the Housing Authority did. Uh, it's like 113 pages, but it's well worth going through if you're interested in the topic, and it's fantastically illustrated, really well done. I didn't realize there are the So a lot of the streets off of Linden Street, uh, Urick Road, Murphy Road, Summit Road, Fairview Road, Sylvan Road, Memorial Circle, those are actually private roads, owned, private streets not owned by the town, owned by the Needham Housing Authority. Interesting. And, and they, then the whole... So like... Fairview is an example where part of it is regular residential housing. Does that mean that whole street or just that, well, according, of the street? according to the report, these were the wow. streets that were listed that are private streets. So, like the town is contracted to plow them. There, I mean, there are other private streets around yeah. town that have similar setups for, yeah. based on the development plans. Um, but it does mean that the housing authority has a lot of uh, potential land and potential development that they could do beyond just what they've done so far. So I think it kind of bifurcates the conversation. On the one hand, you kind of wonder, based on some of the challenges they face, whether they're up to the task of major redevelopment and major new projects. And on the other hand, uh, if you read the master plan, the new projects sound absolutely brilliant and yeah. exactly what we need and major improvements. So we can talk, let's yeah. we maybe start by talking about the audit and the challenges. Yeah, and then we can go back to that. But um, so. The audit, which is very different than the survey that was, if you read the Needham Times article this week, they had a survey of residents, but there was an audit that the results were presented in February 2019. I think it was, the audit took place in 2018, and it was the state's Department for Housing and Community Development uh, that had a bunch of really awful findings that came out of this audit of our housing authority. It found, among other things, missing eligibility forms, background checks and rent determinations. There were some tenants paying zero rent without any income or asset verification. Tenants had been housed who were not on the wait list and who were not at the top of the list. And some applicants' control numbers and identities appear to have been misappropriated for use by other applicants or tenants. So there were people on the waiting list that they re swapped someone else in that then got into a housing unit. Um, 
And I mean, all of this sounds awful, but then when you think about, add that to the fact that the murder suspect in the disabled housing, Tammy Galloway, um, does not appear to be disabled and was somehow in the disabled housing, it just, it just adds to the impact of that if it wasn't bad enough just with all that. But then as a, as a result of that, there's been a lot of change in the personnel uh, at the top of the housing authority. So we have a new executive director. And deputy, deputy executive director as well. Um, and that a lot of the operations side has turned over as well. And I think, you know, one of the problems is uh, if, you, if you're going to need to go to town meeting to get zoning changes or to get other kinds of support uh, to do new development, you're going to really need to come with a clean slate with uh, somewhat of a track record of, you know, an ability to say, like, we've cleaned up these problems. Here's our track record since. Um, and I'm not sure how quickly that will happen. On the other hand, I'm not sure how quickly development can happen either. But Yeah. Um, so, I mean, unrelated to those findings, but when we talked about the murder, you know, the murder suspect who it's not even clear why she was in the facility, um, had a very long criminal record. Um, there were, what's the list? There was 20, 20 past offense, 20 adult arraignments, including assault with a deadly weapon and intent to kill. Um, and the background checks that were done um, by the Needham Housing Authority is what's referred to as a Corey One. Um, with that's, that's all that's required by the state, and supposedly that's what Boston does, that's what Cambridge does. Uh, but a Corey One is very limited, does not get anything out of state, might not even get everything in all the towns. So these, these offenses which occurred in North Carolina when Tammy Gallery was younger were not picked up by her background check. It's not like yeah. she somehow, they knew that she had this background and got in there. It was that they over, the, there was a slip up and they didn't know about that yeah. part. And just for comparison, anyone who's ever done coaching in Needham, I coached in Little League, I coached in lacrosse, I coached in football, they would always run a quarry. They're required to run a quarry and obviously a more expansive quarry because I know very intimately there is another Doug Fox somewhere in the Midwest who's a child molester oh who, thank God, his photo does not look anything like me, but that would always come up. So for me, you know, as a resident, I was like, how can Needham Little League do a more comprehensive background check than, than the housing authority of people who are actually coming here and living in the town? So. And the housing authority has moved quickly on that one. So yeah. right after uh, the murder situation in the summer of 2017, they initiated uh, the board that oversees the housing authority. Uh, initiated a, a, a reform process to, to, to boost their, to bolster their uh, background check. And by the end of 2017, they had adopted a new procedure which relies heavily on the Needham Police Department. Uh, Chief Schlichter came to all these meetings and spoke uh, about how the Needham Police Department could handle a much more in-depth kind of background check that would bring information from other states that even, you know, ordinary citizens like myself or you or the Needham Housing Authority might not be able to interpret, the police would be able to follow up and figure out uh, true background checks. Yeah. And that, it's all that, that's exceptional, because that is not normal for the, for the police to get involved in something like that. But it's an excellent extra level of protection that would have prevented Tammy Galloway from moving to town. So thanks and, to the police for taking that on. And as it's explained uh, in these meetings... Uh, most larger venues like Boston, the police department wouldn't be able to handle the volume of background checks required for the housing, public housing in Boston. But in Needham, Chief Schlichter said that the volume was not that high. We don't have that many new applicants a year, so the police department could handle it. Um, so that, that's just, that's, those are a couple of significant 
enhancements that had taken place that had not yet been reported, which I, when I was speaking to the Housing Authority, I was like, they should make sure people know that. They should be proud of those steps that were taken. So Definitely. They're definitely uh, going to have to be a lot more careful than they were in 2017. Um, all right, so the master plan is an effort to kind of look at all of the property that they have now and there are serious inadequacies uh, in terms of some of the property is very old. Uh, most of the property is not uh, accessible. Uh, and not all of it is sort of configured in ways that are considered um, best practice today. For example, one of, the, one of the real goals of the housing authority is to have uh, property where people can age in place. That is that as you get older, uh, you don't need to worry about stairs or bathtubs or other kinds of things that someone maybe who's 50 or 60 can deal with, but someone who's 70 or 80 or 90 would have a challenge with. And, and one of the things in the master plan, once again, which all the master plan also spoke about how challenging it is to get funding for some of this stuff, but was the development of a 60-unit senior housing building at the same site as Captain Robert Cook and Seabeds, which uh, one of the big complaints we hear all the time is that there's no place for people in town as they age when they want to downsize to something. That would be an option if it were built. So, you know, there's multiple uh, questions about it. One is, it, so it's like a three-story building with 61 bedroom units. It would be reserved for low-income seniors. The estimated cost in the master plan to build it is about $21 million. Um, as we were saying earlier, that part of town is fairly shielded from, um, uh, you know, other neighborhoods or anything. I'm not sh I think that a three-story building in that part of town is probably going to be fine. It's right actually near where the interchange is for Route 9, where there are those Sun Life buildings that are that size. Um, it doesn't seem out of character the way, you know, say <laughs> the proposal for a, a six-story building at Hartney Graymont might be uh, out yeah. of character. It seems like there's a lot of support for affordable housing for seniors in town. So I think that would, um, I think some of the traffic concerns people have, you know, I think would be lessened for something like that. But it's still what you said, 20-something million dollars, so still, you know, where is, where is that coming from? Federal, from state, you know, or, you know, it's hard to picture the town ponying that up. Well, part of, part of what came to town meeting this year was, um, excuse me, last year, <laughs> it's now 2020, uh, part of what came to town meeting last year was uh, the, the housing authority had gotten $150,000 grant and wanted $150,000 of matching funds from the Community Preservation Act to take the master plan and kind of move it to the next level and start to really figure out what would be needed and how could we achieve uh, these different projects. And part of that is figuring out the fundraising. So there's a variety of different sources. The state, uh, Governor Baker passed this huge bond bill in 2018 to provide more funding for affordable housing projects. There's federal money available. There's private developers who can step in in some cases. Uh, there's a lot of tax benefits and credits that are involved that draw private investors which is this like a matter too complex for us to get into in a 20-minute <laughs> podcast. But it is possible. I, I think these things are doable. It's not like the $21 million is unachievable. But then the other piece is the much larger piece of land that where they have multiple different kinds of units over off of Linden Street, over near High Rock. And the plans there are considerably more complicated and probably would entail a much more complicated discussion with town bodies and town meeting and, and people in town. So what they would do is uh, where all those one-story joined uh, studios are right now across the street from uh, the High Rock the High School, School those would basically be torn down. Most of that land would then be sold 
for uh, ordinary private developers to build probably about 20 houses on that land. Further back, which is a piece called Chamber Street, which is kind of like a cul-de-sac off of Linden Street, there's open land that's available to be built on. And the idea is build a more concentrated, denser, three-story, U-shaped building. It's kind of like off Yurik Road uh, there, if you know the area, that would have 152 studio apartments. So it would have the same number of apartments as all of the smaller units today, but it would be in sort of a more modern uh, building with an elevator, an accessible building, and a building where you could age in place and all those sorts of uh, more modern building construction. And you would, it would be towards the back, so it wouldn't be right on Linden Street. It wouldn't be looming, and it's three stories they're talking about. The price tag on this in the master plan is $47 million. Part of that could be offset by selling these 20 lots that are sort of towards the front on Linden Street. They're, they're estimating in the report, I don't know where the estimate comes from, $6 million. Um, so, but it's still like a very considerable uh, yeah. development there. That just, I mean, I, I would picture there'd be a lot of public concern about that. Um, a, selling off all that land, right, for single-family homes. It just feels like town just really wants to do that a lot, and uh, and people are resistant to that. And then, you know, what's the real problem we're solving here? Is it worth all that effort, you know, for what we're doing versus renovating those units? Once again, my mother-in-law was in there. It was, you know, maybe eight or nine years ago. Uh, I know the Housing Authority views those as, you know, not modern enough and too small, we were psyched to get her in there. It was a great location. It was close to town. It was on one level. She could just walk right out. Um, had the field right across from her where she could watch kids play. Um, moving them into a building further back, you know, is that as is that as 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 is it as good quality of life for that? Yeah. Well, I think I mean you know some of the benefits would be it'd be much more energy efficient. Those yeah. those current units are not really constructed to modern uh, energy efficiency standards and um, again don't have the access are not accessible uh, don't have the age in place kind of stuff um, then the other the other piece of that whole vast area is um, the single-family home so right now what's left up, up on that hill there sort of is 60 single-family homes and 22 unit homes which were built about 10 years ago which have one owned condo and one rental unit in each. Those are very modern. Those would stay. So the idea basically is for the 60 remaining single-story homes, which were built like in the late 50s and early 60s for returning veterans and stuff, to tear those down like they did with the units from 2009 and go build these duplexes again. So Yeah, and that was viewed as a real win, what took place there, that there were 20 of these, they used the term bungalows, that were converted into these, they look like regular single-family homes, but there's two residents in them. There is a section eight, section eight uh, low-income unit, and then there are condo units which are sold to not low-income. What's the term? Moderate income or whatever. What's the what's the forty B term that we use? The, right. Um, well, for, do, of that, a certain percentage. That, that will be follow-up in episode six. <laughs> but they're sold for like a, a, a fairly low amount, like yeah. I think three hundred thousand. And it's required that when they sell, they have to sell someone else that meets those income requirements. Right, so, and they have to put up a small down payment. It has to be their first home yeah. purchase. And, but the what that does is it brings more stability to the neighborhoods. That you know, someone who buys in there keeps keeps more stability in the areas, which is desirable. So of the sixty-family homes, though. 
nine would be nine the plots that nine are on would be needed to build this uh big three-story building to take the place of the uh, studio units so you'd have 51 um units getting demolished and duplexes built so you'd have 102 units instead of 60 now so another benefit is that you bring to the town you know another 40 units of affordable housing that count under 40b and that help maintain the diversity of the town and provide yeah. And there is, I know we're, we're above the 40B threshold right now, but there is some concern when the new census takes place with all the new people that have moved to town, what will our percent of affordable housing be when that happens? Because we could find ourselves below that threshold. Well, and I th- so 40B requires a 10% of the, well, it doesn't require. 40B yeah. is the law that says if less than 10% of your housing stock is affordable, then developers can get uh they can circumvent get around, your zoning right, laws. circumvent zoning laws right yeah. exactly and what tends to happen is they don't literally just come in and circumvent because they would get tied up in court for a long time they go into a negotiating process where they have a lot of leverage now in Needham we're at over 12% affordable housing on the way that the state calculates it so uh developers don't have that leverage there still are projects that are 40b that are done under 40b that have affordable housing in them and there are other benefits to that obviously but the town has a lot more leverage than we would if we were under that 10% threshold um all right so i mean that, the one the one closing thing i'd say and i know we we talked about it off off before the broadcast is you know there was that audit that took place and it said all those terrible things were happening and you had this resident that murdered someone that people wonder it feels like there needs to be like a story about what took place there or more accountability of you know we heard all these people were getting in that shouldn't like what was actually happening i mean i would assume they did an audit of that you know that a bunch of people are gone i think it would it would help me feel more comfortable that it's been solved to know that they have looked at the actual issues and that the steps taken to solve it versus just bring new people into the slots where the same mistakes can be made again. Right. I think the point of this podcast is to help people understand some of the tough issues in town, but a podcast alone isn't going to address everything. And there definitely needs to be more transparency and more publicity about yeah. what went wrong and what's gone, what's been done to fix it and if it's adequate. Yeah, and I also want to say I think it is... Uh, very important what they're doing here that this town needs more economic diversity needs more racial diversity absolutely these housing units do absolutely that. we know the problem with the seniors but just in general and i mean i know so many of these families and they're just such a such a great part of our town and i know they don't like it when these type of stories come out because they think it reflects negatively on them when to me it doesn't at all i'm embarrassed that i want them to get better service by our town by the housing authority all right, so yet again, we have discussed a major issue in town, but we have not resolved a major issue yes, in town. that's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, so for Episode 5 of the Needham Saymore Podcast, I'm Aaron Pressman. And I'm Doug Fox. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time.